Hi, this is the Way Family Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for listening. We invite you to join us in person Sundays at 10.30 a.m. at Lawford Middle School here in Tucson, Arizona. You can visit us online at wayfamily.church. Good morning. Um, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes as we continue in our sermon series. If you don't have your Bibles, you, must have, you might have got some sermon notes. You can follow along there. But I'd like to start with just a reading of the word. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1 through 7. It says this. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they're doing or that they're doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much busyness, or business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let your mouth lead you, let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but, but God is the one you must fear. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this beautiful time together. Lord, I ask, Father, that you would speak through me today. Lord, just give me, Lord Jesus, the strength to communicate the message that you have for us today, Lord Jesus. Help us have prepared hearts to be able to receive, Lord, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, well, first of all, it's really good to be here, but I'm going to be honest with you, I'm exhausted. So have, have a little bit of grace and mercy on me t- t- today, okay? Um, I can't even read straight. <laughs> but um, I'm pretty sure that many of us, most of us, have heard and seen the major news that have been having, having or have been coming up lately in regards to Hamas and how they launched a major attack against Israel, and now it's a full-blown war. Um, it's really burdened me this this whole week, you know, and especially seeing the... The headlines and the things that you just hear about jihad calling or the, uh, Hamas calling for a jihad around the world, and and so I've, I've my heart's just been on alert, if that makes sense. But it's interesting. Hamas is actually, if you don't know what it means, it's an acronym, and when it's officially translated to the English, it stands for the Islamic Resistant Movement. That's what it is. It's an Islamic political and militant organization that is governed or actually that governs the Strip of Gaza, at least they did. And Gaza is in the land of Israel. And so that's Hamas. And so they broke through barriers, and they massacred Israeli civilians, if you've not heard. Uh, They also kidnapped many women and children. They also attacked many um, Israeli military bases. And so the situation went went from bad to just getting worse. And it's really heartbreaking. As you hear about these things, you read about them in the word of the Lord. We just know that Israel, God's people, is always going to be under attack so long as we're here on this side of eternity. And so this is the things that they do. But here's the thing, though. In their eyes, and in the eyes of many people who do such radical things, 
This is actually not an atrocious act of violence, but a noble endeavor. You think about that. Sometimes it takes a little bit of effort to really step aside from what we think and what we believe and where we are. And we have the biases that we do based on the world that we live in and grow in. But in their eyes, this is a very noble endeavor. In fact, this is an expression of their loyalty to their religion and to their system of beliefs. And so to them, this is something that must be done because they're faithful to their belief. Now, firmly convinced that Israel is the enemy, they're willing to do anything against their enemy in order to protect and expand their religious views. This is Hamas. This is the world that we live in right now. And, and I'm sad to say that they're not the only group that does this. In fact, there's groups all over the world that do things in the name of religion. In fact, religion does these kind of things to people. And we're going to be looking at that today, a little bit into religion and the meaninglessness of it, because religion does have the ability to cause people to do terrible things. And I think that it's also safe to say that many terrible things that have happened in this world have happened in the name of religion. And so this is because, simply put, if we define religion, we can say that it is man's attempt to reach God. That's what religion is. It is our attempt to reach him, to get to a place where we're in maybe communion with him, if that's even what we're thinking about. But I think more rightly so, it is our attempt to earn his favor. That's what religion does. And so we're willing as people to do anything religiously that the Lord would tilt his ear to us and that he would answer our prayers and that he would actually satisfy our desires and that he would grant us the things that we are asking for and so if we think about it that way, then yeah, many of us are willing to do radical things. And those things, that process of just being radical, that, that the rituals that we do is what we call religion. And so it's to say, if I do X, Y, Z, no matter how hard or how great the cost, then God will be pleased with me. And if God is pleased with me, he will listen to me and answer my prayer. Now, let me ask you this, and you just be honest with yourself between you and the Lord. How many times have we gone to the Lord with that kind of attitude? Where we, where we come to him and we say, Lord, if this, then I that, you know. We come to him not because we revere him, but we come to him because we have a very particular need or desire that we want fulfilled by him. And so our perception of God is not so much this glorious being. Like last week, Monty Patton came over here and he read from Isaiah chapter 3. And it was a beautiful description of what happened with the prophet Isaiah. He encounters the glory of God and all he could do is fall on his face and worship him and say, holy, 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 right? And as a response, he's forgiven and he's changed. He's radically changed and moved. And all he could say, what am I doing? What am I going to do? Send me. Here I am. Right? It changed him. It, put him. it dropped him to his knees, essentially, because he saw the glory of God. He revered him. But unfortunately, many of us don't revere the Lord. If we look at the sign up here, Way Family Church, we have four core values. The first one is reverence. We cannot lose our reverence for the Lord. We cannot lose the way that we perceive him. We cannot uh, let that fade away from us. He is not our homeboy. He is not our genie. He's not our good old buddy and pal. You know? And we cannot persuade him the way our children sometimes are able to persuade us. Daddy, will you please do this for me? I promise I'll clean my room. 
that's not the kind of father that he is. And I think today's message, as we continue to look into the wisdom that Solomon provides to the book of Ecclesiastes, we're really having to slow down here and consider, how do I approach the Lord? How do I actually perceive Him? What do I think of Him? Do I revere Him? Do I fear the Lord God Almighty? Or am I in a place where I'm just so comfortable in His grace that I'm able to talk to Him like He's just one of us? That's the question. And I think it's important for us to really look into this and self-evaluate because, again, otherwise, all we will do is consider more the ritual of what we believe, the things that we think are right for us to do, like, hey, I have to go to church at 1030 on Sunday. That's a good Christian thing for us to do, right? Or I have to go and serve. I have to do this. I have to show up for service. I have to do That's all good. But if we don't have the right heart of reverence, it's meaningless. If we don't really have the right attitude, if we really don't know the Lord and understand who He is and the holiness that He, that he is, then all of what we do is meaningless because then we're only focusing on religion or ritual and no fear and reverence towards the Lord. The most important thing, the reason why we do what we do is because we've, we fear the Lord, we love Him, we revere Him. That's worship. When we see God for who He is and when we respond that's worship. That's what the Lord is seeking. And so Solomon, the preacher, as described here in the book of Ecclesiastes, has been exposing the meaningless of life apart from the Lord. And it's to say, if this cursed world is all there is under the sun, apart from the Lord, then nothing that we do here actually has meaning because everything that is purposeful and meaningful comes from the Lord. Nothing here will satisfy you. No pleasure or work or success or politics will ever come to fully satisfy you. You will always be longing for that extra. That's, there's got to be something more. But now Solomon takes a little time away from that perspective of looking at life under the sun, and he looks beyond to God, and he asks a very important question. What about religion? What about worship? We do that. We acknowledge God. But what about that? Is there purpose in that? Is there meaning in that? So again, today's sermon title is Worship and Religion Are Meaningless Without Jesus. We all worship something, folks, whether you believe in God or you don't. We all worship something. We're all created beings. We're all designed for that. And so some people worship at sports stadiums and some people worship at concerts. I don't know if you've seen some videos of, uh, of uh, some, uh, the Beatles back in the day. Some girls would just about lose it when the Beatles came on, spa on stage. You know what I'm talking about? Some people worship at concerts. Some people worship when there's a, a music band around. Some people worship in the theater. Some people worship at work. Some people worship at casinos. And some people worship at mosques. Some people worship in temples. And some people worship in churches. And some people worship inside schools. But we all worship something because we're all inclined to look beyond this because we know that there's something. Like Solomon says, the Lord has instilled eternity into our hearts, so we're all looking for something. We're all looking for that thing to satisfy us, to fulfill us. And if it's not something, it's definitely somebody. And so depending on what it is that we worship, we can become religious in that pursuit over that object of worship. And so in America, I am really deeply saddened to say that worship of self has become very prominent, We've become a very narcissistic culture. It's all about us. If you, if you ever drive up to Phoenix, you'll see some, uh, some, some billboards up there. It says, you do you, man, right? 
you you go and find whatever seeks or whatever you find pleasure in and it's all about us everything is so self-centric and so even christians i believe have become me-centered rather than god-centered and that changes everything and not for the good and so let me share, share just a little bit of tidbits here that I've read on some of the best-selling Christian books in America today. They're all about self-help. They're all about what God does for you and what he thinks of you and how wonderful you are. And yes, it's true that you are a beautiful creation. But when we look into the, the face of the Lord, we should be pursuing him. We should be looking and wanting to know more of him. And in turn, as a result, we learn a little bit more about us. But instead, we're so focused about ourselves that we're so inclined to hear the message that we want to hear, not necessarily get to know God for who he is. And so you'll find devotional books filled with tips on how you be a better person today, how you can feel better tomorrow, how you can have better relationships, a better life, all this stuff, how you can feel good and how you can live your best life now. And it's all about you. What about God? What about what's actually important here? And so when we do our Bible studies, we're also very quick to plug ourselves into the story as the hero. I've, I'm guilty of doing this. We say things like, man, I'm brave like David. That's me. Or I'm so strong like Samson. That's Tony. <laughs> or I'm so, so in tuned with my prayer life like Daniel. No one will keep me from praying because I'm like Daniel. Or we could even say, I'm so loving like Jesus, if only people were more like me. We often plug ourselves in that way, and we often come to church as consumers as well. And so Sandy asked a question when we opened up with worship, is why are you here? Are you here for the coffee? Are you really here for the potluck? Are you really here just because, um, you know, it's fun? Why are you here? This is a really provoking question. We all have to really wrestle with this and ask ourselves that question. Why are we here? Why are we coming here? Are we just looking for attention? Or are we maybe just in hopes to make a friend? Or maybe you're single and you're looking for a significant other? You know, why are we here? People have different reasons to go to church. Uh, I, I love my church, and so I'm not pointing my finger at anybody. This is just what we need to think about, church as a whole. You know, and I, again, I'm just sad to say that too often we hear much about us and a little bit about God. Some worship songs, man, I can't even tell if they're worship songs or love songs. You know what I'm saying? There's some sermons that I listen to sometimes, and I really, I, I ask the Lord to please, just that I speak of Him. Nothing about me, really, just all about Him. But, man, there's some, song, there's some sermons that just sound like TED Talks sometimes. You know, because we make it about us. Everything is about, we're all self-centered. And so, we need to just be cautious about making this all about me. There's nothing, because that's not worship. That's nothing less than idolatry. And so again, I think that we often subconsciously respond to God like cat and dog theology. Have you ever heard of that? Do you know what cat and dog theology is? A dog, well, here's the dog theology. A dog thinks, he feeds me, he pets me, takes care of me. He must be God. But a cat, a cat says, feeds me, pets me, takes care of me. I must be God. <laughs> you know? We got to be careful to be like the cats, to not, not be like the cats, right? Because it could go either way. See, the service or the, the, the expression is the same, but the respond to it, it differs. And so sometimes I think that we're too inclined to be more like the cats and say, yeah, God takes care of me. He's gracious with me. It's all about me. 
But in reality, we should be thinking, he cares for me, he provides for me. Thank you, it's all about you. I live for you, right? And so we need to be just very careful about how we approach the Lord because I think for many American Christians, God is no longer the almighty sovereign king of the universe. And for others, it's just he's never even been. People don't understand the holiness of God. He's more like a genie, like a life coach, or again, more like a homeboy. So worship and religion have become means to use God for what we really want rather than to, to experience him to experience just the awesomeness of who he is, to be able to come and just stand in awe of his glory. I want, you, want us to look at how Solomon exposes the meaninglessness of religion um, through very, three very specific rituals that we often do. And so we'll see this in, in, in this passage in chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes. These things are totally meaningless unless we properly feel the, fear the Lord. The first one is offerings. The text starts with a, an imperative or a command in regards to offerings. Look at verse 1 with me. It says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Hmm. In other words, approach God with great caution because we do, we, we're, we're in a sinful state right now. Do you remember the, the moment when Moses finds the presence of the Lord in the form of the burning bush? What are the first things that the Lord says to him? Take, remove the shoes off of the feet because the place that you're standing in is holy. Where the Lord is is holy ground. And we, we sometimes lack reverence in coming to the Lord. And, and sometimes what we do is we sacrifice ourselves or our time or our money, whatever it is. And that's an offering if you think about it. And sometimes we say, hey, here it is. Here's my time. Here's everything that I have. But we don't revere him. And so if that's the case, if that's how you bring something to the Lord, that's all meaningless. You know, sin has separated us from a holy God. So we need to be careful about that. We just don't gel. I'll tell you a quick story. I don't know uh, if you've heard about a Hungarian doctor by the name of Ignaz uh, Semmelweis. In, in 1846, there was a little predicament. He was a, a doctor who was working in the, in the maternity ward. And he noticed a very severe problem. He, he noticed that the ward where the physicians and the medical students were working, there was a significantly increased um, uh, number of fatalities from births. 15 to 18% more fatalities. More moms were dying in this ward compared to the, the ward of the midwives. They were doing things differently. Why aren't they dying here? And why are they dying there? And why are they dying so much more? And why, why is this going on? There's a big problem here. And so he dove into it, curious to figure out what's going on here. And he found out something pretty remarkable. See, the midwives had an ancient practice. That's all they did. That's what they dedicated themselves to. If, th if someone was in labor, they would make preparations. They would go and they would wash their hands and they would help deliver the baby. That's what they did. But these physicians, on the other hand, they were also dealing with dead cadavers, with, with, with bodies, and they were dissecting, and they were learning, and they were doing all these kind of things, right? And these are the physicians, the medical doctors and students. And then they would go into the, to the, the maternal ward but not wash their hands properly. And so that was the reason why there were so many fatalities, because they would not have the proper preparation to be able to handle a birth. And so when he figured this out, then everything changed. Now there's hygiene protocol. Now when you go and have surgery, or you just go to the doctor, you'll see that the doctor has to thoroughly wash their hands. They wear sterilized gloves and all this stuff. And since that happened, the mortality rate significantly dropped. You see, there's proper preparation for us to be able to enter into sacred places. Because if we don't prepare properly, we're actually uh, at risk of, let's say, impurifying that which is pure. And there's no way you're going to do that with God. 
the first thing that's going to happen is you're going to be rejected. There's no way that you're going to uh, taint him. But rather, like Moses, hey, cleanse yourself for the place that you're standing in is holy ground. You know, back in the day when the priests used to enter the Holy of Holies, there was proper preparations that had to take place because they knew that when we're coming to offer something and we're entering the presence of God, we need to be ready because we're not pure like God is. We have to go to proper pre- through proper preparations so that we're at least acceptable to Him. You know, all of what we do to try to prepare to be able to enter the presence of the Lord is totally meaningless without Jesus Christ because there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's Christ Jesus. So we need Him to be able to even enter into His presence. And so we have an offering. If we have anything to give to Him, we must do it reverently through Christ Jesus. And so guard your steps when you go into the house of the Lord. And then Solomon continues to say this, to draw near to listen is better than to offer a sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. So what is the sacrifice of fools? This refers to formalism and manipulation. Now, it is formalism or ritualistic uh, it is formalism or ritualistic order to gain God's favor is what he's talking about. It is all a, um, a foolish in the heart of the, uh, the worshiper, and it is actually not well received from God. So what I'm saying is, if you formalize the rituals and the routines of worship, you think that you're doing well. But the Lord says it's, it's better that you don't do that. Don't, God does not like that that. that offer that comes from fools. They don't even know what it is that they're doing. They don't know that they're doing evil. We just kind of go through routine, through motions. God is not necessarily interested in that. He's interested in our heart. He wants us to know him. He wants to have relationship with him because religion without spiritual substance repulses the Lord. He doesn't want you just to be ritualistic and religious in the things that you do, but he wants you to have relationship with him. And so we do this because we don't know many times. You know, I just do what I have to do because that's what I was told to do, period. And so we, the problem with this is that we become very religious in the things that we do, but there's really no change in our lives. You, you don't really don't see the fruit that, that comes from being just submitted to the Lord. And so we go home after church and we still say crude things to others. We're still harsh to our spouses. We're perverted in our jokes or our entertainment intake. We're vulgar in speech. We're cold towards our children and just whatever it is, we don't see the change. But no one here in church would ever know because you're very faithful at coming to church. So it's not about what you do and you know, the, the steps that you take as far as just action and ritual, but really it is how you approach the Lord if you have that heart of worship where you come in ready and prepared to receive from Him and that the Lord would change you. And when you see the Lord for who he is, you realize, wow, I am a sinner. I need his help. And so if Jesus isn't king or Lord or ruler of our lives, then perfect church attendance doesn't mean anything. You know, it's, it's all about the relationship with God. Our offerings mean nothing. Our money, our time, our servants, service will not gain you God's favor at all. Jesus is all required for that. So instead of thinking that you've got it all together because you're faithful in attendance and giving whatever it is that you're doing to try to earn the just good standing with the Lord, come with reverence before the Lord and listen to his words and submit to his lordship. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. And Samuel said this, has the Lord as, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen 
than the, the fat of rams. So in other words, don't confuse worship for the tasks that you complete. That's just religion. Worship is truly coming before the Lord with a heart of gratitude, of thanksgiving, revering Him, realizing that you need of Him. Worship is not just merely saying, um, as Nacho, have you ever watched Nacho Libre? Yeah. It's, it's not just, you know, fulfilling your priestly duties. It's, it's not that. It's really knowing the Lord. It's really coming to Him. Look at Romans chapter 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which means set apart and something that He accepts. If, if there's a way to approach Him that's holy and acceptable, then there's also a way that's not. And so, that is our spiritual worship, is what Paul says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So God has revealed himself to us through his word, so we must listen and obey. And if we revere the Lord, if we actually know him as God creator, we will listen and we will obey. It's not, a, it's not a, an option anymore. It is something that we're keen and eager to do. Now, another meaningless ritual uh, that Solomon exposes is prayer. Prayers are pointless if we don't have proper understanding of prayer or a proper approach. He says in verse 2, Be not rash or hasty with your words. No, let your hearts be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. So here's, here's what he's saying. Slow down and self-evaluate before approaching the Lord with your words, both internal and external words. We really have to think about who it is that we're talking to. And when we're talking to the Lord, that's prayer. Okay? So Solomon is saying that we should be more reserved in our words with our prayers because we don't see things the way that God does. We're limited in perspective. We only know what we know, right? The Lord sees everything. And so let's consider that. What is God really seeing? What is he saying about the world? What is he saying about everyone here, his creation? And when we really think and slow down a little bit, our prayer changes. That's why I really love using the book of Psalms to pray. You know, you get a different perspective. Sometimes we're just so limited about what we want and our desires. And sometimes we're so capable of ranting and just going on and on and on and on. And really, we're just not saying anything. You know, what we say is not so important as how we approach the Lord. Again, it's all about the reverence that we have before the Lord. Have you guys heard of a comedian by the name of Michael Jr.? Yeah. You know, he tells a, a little story or what do you call it? Comedy skit or whatever. And it's, it just, it has a really good message to it because so many times we come before the Lord and we think, man, I just really got to learn big words like sanctification, justification, glorification, Californication. That's not a holy word, right? But you have these like list of words that you feel like you have to add into your prayers. And if, if you do put those big words, those, those big biblical words in there, then you might be heard. And so Michael Jr. says this, he says, he says that um, one day he was at church and his pastor one day said that, he wanted everyone to pray with their neighbor. Michael Jr. said, well, my, my neighbor don't go to this church. And so he didn't know what that meant. And then he learns that the pastor was referring to the person next to him. And so the lady next to him goes first and praying for Michael Jr. And he says that this, he thought this lady was John the Baptist's auntie or something because of the way that she prayed. She was on fire. And so she says this, and this is the example of the prayer that he gives. He says that this lady next to him says, Dear Heavenly Father, you said in your word in the sixth chapter of the 33rd verse in the book of Matthew in the 601st word of the page, 1297, Lord, 
Lord, you said, seek, search. Lord, you are the Alpha, Nisi, Jehovah, Jireh, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Michael Jr. is impressed. He says, wow, he even knows his nicknames. You know, and he's thinking like he's being uh, uh, challenged by this lengthy and wonderful prayer. And so he says, man, I don't know. I'm not going to let her out pray me like that. And so now it's his turn to pray. And he's going to, again, show his ability to pray and use big words. And so he says, I just, I just, I just can't fight this feeling anymore. Because with Nationwide, you're on my side. God, because choosy moms choose Jesus, Lord. And when the rockets were glared, Lord, it gave proof through the night that I believe I can fly. Amen. And so he was so impressed because he found the right words, right? Lengthy and elaborate words. But prayer, again, is not about fancy words. Jesus warns us of this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 through 8. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases that the Gentiles do for. They think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows exactly what it is that you know or that you need before you even ask him. You know, well, again, what you say is not the heart, is not the, the thing. It's really the heart of the issue. It's how you approach them. It's the posture that you have. You know, like my daughters, I, I tell you, who has daughters here? Or little boys, sons, you know? They, they know exactly when to come to dad for something. You know, they know when the right time it is to come to dad for something and when it is not. And they also know when to come to dad and not to, come to, go, not to go to mom. But if I'm in a happy mood and if I'm doing well and they even know how to say it, dad... You know, I give a little example. Is like, you know, this and that. And then you're like, oh, yeah, sure, go for it, right? It's, it's really not about what they're saying. It's their approach. That's, that's what Solomon's saying. Is like, we have to revere the Lord. We have to understand who he is. And he even knows what, we're, what we need before he, we even say anything. You know, have, 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 your, have your children ever come to you when they're hurt and they're hurting? You already know that they need comforting. They don't need to say anything. You know exactly what it is that you need to do to be able to serve them. And that's exactly the, the attitude that we need to have with the Lord. Now, in Luke chapter 18, 9 through 14, Jesus tells the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee points to himself and he says, Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like these sinners. And then the tax collector realizes the holiness of God. And he realizes that compared to him, he's nothing but a dreadful sinner. He says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the posture. That's the attitude that the Lord is really really moved by. It's not about the things that we say, but it is how we approach him. And then the final thing that Solomon points to is vows. He says in verse 4, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it for he has no pleasure in fools. You know, vows were pledges that worshipers would make to God as part of the offering or sacrifice process. Now the vow was made so that God might answer specific requests. So let me show you just an example of what vows look like. Numbers 21, 2 to 3 says, and Israel vowed a vow to the Lord, and said, if you in, will indeed give this people into my hands, then I will devote the cities to destruction. And so the Lord heeded the voice of Israel and gave over the Canaanites, and they devoted them to, their, to the cities of destruction, the cities of, to destruction. So the name of the places were called Hormah. Uh, Write more legibly, please. 
<laughs> Note the purpose of the vow here was to gain God's favor in order to urge God to grant a specific request. It was a kind of, hey, I will do this for you if you will do this for me. Now, another example of this, if you remember, was Hannah with uh, uh, Samuel. He said, Lord, if, if you give me a son, I vow that I will give him to your service. And she actually moved forward with it. So here's the thing. These people actually revered the Lord. These people actually revered the Lord to the point where they said, hey, we believe that you can do this. We know who you are. We know that this is something that is not too beyond you. And, and, and just as a respond of gratitude, of thanksgiving, this is what, what I will do in return. And that was the vow. The difference is that they actually went through their vows. And so Israel actually devoted the Canaanites to destruction. And actually, after she weaned Samuel, took him to the temple, and she said, Eli, raise him up because I vowed this. That's the difference. So we need to be careful with what we say, what we promise the Lord, because sometimes we get so emotional, we get stirred, and we say, God, if you do this, then I will do that, and we never follow through with it. The Lord detests that. It is better not to say anything than to say that. And if you're going to do something, do something. Like um, my wife always uh, will say something to me, you know, like, for example, I'll do something, and I'll miss it, and I say, hey, you know what? It's the thought that counts. And she always just says, it counts for nothing, you know? <laughs> Like the, the thought really doesn't count, like just do it. That really matters a lot more. That's more important. Verse six says, let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the word, the work of your hands? In other words, say what you mean and mean what you say. That's it. Don't, don't try to excuse yourself. Instead, just own it. If you fall short, just confess to it. You know, and do what you need to do to, to, to correct that. Because again, it's all about the approach. If we revere the Lord, we're going to know that he is aware that whatever we promise, he's expecting, right? If not, let's just come before him. Let's just be clean. I said, Lord, I, didn't, I wasn't thinking, you know, forgive me. I, I need help here. This is beyond me. It's, it's again, it's how we perceive the Lord. He's not a genie. He's not a buddy. He is someone that we need to come in reverence because God is moved by our approach. That's, that's what we really ultimately need to do. And so verse 7, he says, For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one that you must fear. And that's the whole point of everything. Everything that we do doesn't matter if we don't have reverence toward the Lord. We need to fear the Lord. We need to love Him. And I think that this is the point of all this. Until we revere the Lord God Almighty and submit to His Lordship, and, 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 and if when we understand the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in our worship, and religious rituals, then they mean something if we have them, you know. But really, it's that relationship that matters more than anything. And if we don't know a lick about God, and if we don't trust Him or revere Him at all, and we are far from Christ, then anything that we do is meaningless. If we look at the world around us, people are doing things in the name of religion. For what? It's all meaningless without Jesus Christ. And so that's the point that Solomon's making here. So I want to leave you with this passage because I think it's just so good for us to just settle in this and, and understand the holiness of God. Hebrews 12, 28 through 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Remember, Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. You know, they said, I'm going to sell our property and 100% of the proceeds are going to go to the church. And so what happens? They lie about it. And they hide some of the proceeds and they say, Peter, here it is. 
And so they die because the Lord is a consuming fire. You will not cheat the Lord. You will not do that. You must revere him. See, the problem wasn't the fact that they didn't give 100% of the proceeds. The problem was the fact that they said that they would be giving 100% of the proceeds and they didn't. They could have said, here's 30% of it. That would have been fine. But they did not revere the Lord enough. And they thought that they could cheat him. And so I think that the point here, and I think that we really need to just think and consider deeply is, God is a consuming fire. Yeah, he's gracious. But we're not deserving of that. So let's not be demanding of it. God is loving. But we're not deserving of that. So let's not be demanding of it. Let's respond because he's holy and we see that. And the fact that we even get to be in his presence is a gift in itself. Let's have the right attitude. It's not about us. It's about him. And he will do with us what he will do. And he decided to be gracious with us through his son, Jesus Christ. He decided to express his love for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so that's why we worship, because we recognize the holiness of God, not because we need something in our life and only God can get done for us. That is the wrong reason for us to come before the holy throne of the Lord. And so I urge you, church, revere the Lord. Know him for who he is. He is a consuming fire, but he's gracious, he's loving, he's good, he's your friend, but we must revere him at all costs. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today. We love you. We praise you. We ask, Father, that you would help us, Lord Jesus. Just have hearts that are full of true worship, Lord. Help us just get beyond ourselves, Father, and really look to you. Help us not be limited by the perspective that we have, Father, which is just about me, myself, and I. And help us lean into you, Father, more and more and more, that we be able to see your holiness, drop to our knees and say, God, have mercy on us, for we are sinners. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for your son, Jesus Christ. And the love expression, Father, from the cross. We love you, we praise you. We're so sorry, Father, for how we come before you. We're so sorry, Father, for the expectations that we have, Lord Jesus, that are just so selfish. Lord, we ask that you would be Lord and King in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.